our podcast this week, we hear how Reese Shearsmith, star of See How They Run, talks. All that plus the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that if you're looking for an indication of its powerless mental state right now, just took five minutes to open a double lolly. Defeated by packaging. Hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome <laughs> to the Empire Podcast. We are back triumphant in the studio after uh, our live show which took place on Saturday at King's Place in London as part of the London Podcast Festival and was, I can assure you, an extraordinary night of entertainment. Perhaps that owed something to the fact that James <coughs> Dyer wasn't there. I was fighting a snake. It was so relaxing. That sounds like you were having a wank. <laughs> it does a bit, but no. It's, so for those who have not seen the Babylon trailer, that won't mean nothing, but Margot Robbie says the immortal line, who wants to see me fight a fucking snake? And it's just like, yes. Yes, I do. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. <laughs> Welcome to this week's Empire Podcast. Uh, I'm delighted to be joined by my three colleagues of such lethal cunning... As a mark of respect, we are not referring to Helen O'Hara as Geek Queen this week. Uh, you're just a geek. I mean, this seems like an unwarranted... No, I'm sorry, well, I was shit. Nerd Emperor for a brief period of time and then Self- got thoroughly demoted. Self-appointed Nerd Emperor. Helen O'Hara is here. Hello, Helen O'Hara. Hi, how are you doing? Hi. hi. Ben Travis, the nicest serial killer in the business, is also here. I didn't do it. <laughs> Nobody, <laughs> Nobody saw, saw me you do it. it. We can't prove anything. <laughs> and... Regrettably, James Dyer is also here. Hello, James. How are you? Hello, Chris. How was the live show without me? It was, was, it, was it lacking? Super good. Was it? Was it? It lost a little bit of sparkle, it was a little great. bit of shine. It, it finished on time. I got a sentence out without being interrupted. <laughs> oh, it me was, too. Oh. oh, you did as well. Hey, so how was that for you, Helen? Get the sentence was, out. It was so novel. Did you think it was good? Oh, go. Damn it! <laughs> she finished the sentence. I was. Time. I'm reliably informed, though, that someone asked you about my karaoke video during the live show. No, uh, in the meet and greet afterwards. Oh, was it afterwards? Okay, fine, fine. But they told me. I did indeed release the karaoke video briefly on my Instagram stories earlier this week, so it was there. Wow, you've come loaded with anecdotes this week, haven't yeah. you? You really have. It's pretty special. I yeah. released the dire cut. You've got a wonky eye. What's wrong with your eye? It's, it's, I've gone for, I'm, so I'm obviously a big Harry Potter fan, as you know. I'm currently cosplaying as Mad-Eye Moody, so that's, uh, that's a good note. No, so I was painting the ceiling uh, and a glob of paint went in my eye and it turns out that it has not made me into daredevil it's just made it very painful i mean did you learn nothing from biker grove biker grove what where charlie hunnam famously painted the ceiling and lost his sight what happened no where pj or duncan got paint in his (laughs) eye and was blinded really yes like blinded blinded yes Mm. Yeah. Well, if I'd watched Biker Grove, maybe I'd have been was more careful. Was it paintballing? It was very famous for paintballing. That's paintballing. That's like a yeah, high-speed projectile fired from also, a gun. So is when, when you know, when paint falls, it's also a, a speed, and you didn't. I, you clearly weren't I, wearing goggles. I feel the speed is different. Like like a glob falling off my roller, not a euphemism. <laughs> <laughs> Were you fighting <laughs> with a snake? <laughs> I was, while fighting with a snake, oh it's not God. the same as someone putting the paint into a round projectile, firing out of a gun at your face, I think. <laughs> but but yeah, I take your point. I probably should have worn goggles. I like to think that if the paint did turn you into Daredevil by splashing in your eye, that yeah. maybe also another little bit of paint maybe would have fallen on a pet turtle, and then that turtle would have become a Teenage Mutant Ninja, Ninja Turtle. Turtle. Yeah, yeah. I'm fairly certain paint did not factor into the turtle's origin story, whereas I think paint pretty much did Daredevils. No, but well, no, it was toxic waste at least in one story. Do you like toxic waste? Of Daredevil's origin, and it's it, by it, Ben is correct. Canonically, 
it's the same spill that went into the sewer and hit four baby turtles. That's not true, I is it? Yeah. Not kidding. Yeah. That, and and that's why you've got um, Master Splinter mm-hmm. and um, hang on, stick. Hang on, hang on. I didn't even think the turtles were Marvel. So they're not. It started as a like a zine, basically, like yeah. a, an independent comic. The Eastman and Laird, but the. Like, idea of it was that a bit of the toxic goo splashed on some turtles which then crawled into a sewer and became really hench yeah wow and they decided that in when marvel was publishing the turtles comics that it was the same instant do we think this is going to feature in the born again storyline in the tv series (laughs) that's why it's 18 episodes a season because they got to cram the turtles in there as well oh my god i would never cram a turtle in It'd be a glob of my roller. <laughs> that wow. Happens. What? Come on. Come on. Hey, speaking of turtles, yeah. I've got a bone to pick with you guys. Uh, I uh, am my wife, and yes, our little daughter. Uh, drinking game, drinking game, drinking game. <laughs> little drinking game. My wife, Mrs. Drinking Game, and our daughter, Little Drinking Game. Uh, we saw, we went to the cinema the other day. First proper family outing, because the first time we went to the cinema was to see Minions, The Rise of Gru, and that was just a daddy daughter trip. Uh, but anyway, this was the first family uh, trip, and we saw DC League of Super Pets, mm-hmm. or I'm just going to call it League of Super Pets. We did not DC enjoy this Don't film. Sue me. I did. C- good film, right. fun film. What the fuck? Two stars, Empire. And now I, you know, I don't know who reviewed it. John Nugent. I, I hereby posit new rule: people who either have kids or are kids adjacent should write reviews of films that are aimed at kids. There you go. You're it. so elitist. You have volunteered for so many reviews just now, and I don't. Oh, think no, no, you no, no, no. I'm yeah. very, very clear on this. I don't review films, and I won't review films. <laughs> very clear on this. I have, I have not reviewed a film in Empire Magazine for going on two years, and I intend to keep that run going. You're a monster. You are the consummate film journalist <laughs> professional. I have not seen DC's League of Super Pets yet, but I uh, have spoken about it at length with my friend, Sam, who did pay and go and see this film. And the thing that confused me is that the the tortoise is the pet of the Flash, and that's a joke, because the Mm -hmm. Flash, very fast. Mm -hmm. Tortoises, famously, not very fast. A Teenage Mutant Ninja Tortoise. I think a regular one, but right. who knows, maybe there was toxic waste somewhere along the line. What's the but difference between why? a tortoise and a turtle? Turtles have flippers, don't they? Turtles are water. No, right. pinball machines are flippers. But then hang on, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles don't have flippers. Oh, God. But the Teenage Mutant Ninja Pinball Machines do. Sure, <laughs> but then what's up with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are in fact Teenage Mutant Ninja Tortoises because they don't have flippers. Or is it just Terrapins that have flippers? Or do Terrapins have flippers at all? I don't think they do. No, Terrapins have guns and balaclavas. Oh, that's terrorists. <laughs> if we may, may have a Who's on first? Topic. <laughs> Sorry, ben, ben, you were saying. Anyway, it makes sense that the Flash has a tortoise. That is a gag. Why, I think, is it Wonder Woman is related the to the, the, yep. pig? the pig? And then one of them no, has a No, she's not related to the pig. But there's yep. no correlation. I don't, want, I don't want to do spoilers. Okay. No, there is no for DC yeah. League of Super Pets. God but forbid. they're not related or anything. And you know, but she And the tortoise the is pig. actually quite elderly. But super fast. But not so not teenage, but super fast. Yeah. And she swears a lot. But But the pig is a girl who tries to do her best and stands up for other women, so it sort of fits in with the whole you know, themiscara kind of. Okay. Vibe. So we have a geriatric mutant ninja tortoise. Well, no, not a not a ninja that we know of. But, so just a geriatric tortoise. It's a tortoise. geriatric speeder tortoise. Speedster. Oh, so it's always quick. It's, it's a fast tortoise. Yes. yes. Oh. You're less I mean, known breed of tortoise. A little yeah. bit. And it's not due to toxic waste. It's due to, of course, orange kryptonite, which is a thing that 
definitely exists and <laughs> I personally knew about a long yeah. time before watching this film. Anyway, enough of spoiling DC League of Super Pets. <laughs> Has it tried not being a mutant? <laughs> anyway, all I'm saying is uh, give peace a chance, but also give DC League of Super Pets a chance because I, I had a good time. No, I see. I'm I'm not taking this. Ever since you two recommended Teen Titans go to the movies, and I sat and oh, watched that great absolute movie. dreck, I I I, I hey, can't kids. trust you. come from. No, I did It's not that I don't like. Teen Titans. It's that I hate it in the same way that I hate Peppa Pig. There's something about it where oh, it's just oh, come on. it's stressful and it's just noisy and, and it's just it's it just makes me want to. Yes, but hurt you hate things. joy and comedy, and it has Perhaps, both. But I, I, yeah, Teen Titans can fuck right off. No, Teen Titans is oh, no. That, is that I the sequel? It. <laughs> <laughs> it's so fun though, and also it's coming true. Like so many of the you know Batman spin-offs mm-hmm. that they talk about in that film mm-hmm. are basically being made. Anyway, the of... story of Batman's Butler exactly. or whatever the official title of that is on HBO Max now. It is only a matter of time until we get Bat Belt the movie. You know it. I know it. Let's just be honest about it. It's going to happen. It hey, did we happen. have a question? Please, God, tell it's, me we have a question. It's really hard to say. Uh, we have uh, many, many questions because um, I did a panic shout out because we had some questions held over from last week, but I, they actually needed research and effort. And, and oh, God, no. I knew James was on this week's podcast. We would get neither of those things. So <laughs> a lot of people have obviously asked questions that are related in some way to the Queen. The Queen died last week. So some people have sent in questions pertaining to that, asking things. Best example of royalty in the movies, you know. Alien Queen. Best depiction of the Queen in movies, The Naked Gun. Mm. Things like that. Uh, People have asked, which film has the best cubing scene? Which is obviously relating to (laughs) the fact that right now, right now the Queen is lying in state and there's a massive queue. At Bloke Wob, W-O-B, what's the longest you've waited in a queue for a film? Oh, that's, oh. that's something we can take. Yeah, that, yes. that we can take that. Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. Don't oh. ever say those words to me, Ben. Don't do Good it. Movie. You know we were in Good a movie. queue for a long time for uh, that movie. Did we queue more? Like, so I would say it's either that or Endgame, isn't it? Or mm. it could be Force Awakens. But it's one of those because we went through, obviously, that period of time of queuing for literal hours. It wasn't Force Awakens because that's before the queues got crazy. So that was like... Queues got crazy. We were first in the queue, weren't we, for mm-hmm. Force Awakens, though, for the Force Awakens screening? We were first in the queue for all of them, Yeah, much. But I just, I think you're right. I think Endgame, we might have got there earlier than for any of the others. The important thing about Rise of Skywalker is that it started quite a lot later. That screening started that at 9pm because, because it was after Cats. cats. Because, yes, of course, I'd John Nugent, for us, went to see Cats yes. and then left Cats and five minutes later watched... The Rise of Skywalker. Watched a worse film than Cats. Yes, absolutely. Incorrect. Oh, no, that's harsh. Released the bumhole cart, and I'm talking about Rise of Skywalker. (laughs) No, I reject it all. I reject all of you. Um, We, I think, queued for that uh, from about maybe like two o'clock in the afternoon, (laughs) maybe three o'clock until about eight. I think they started letting people into the IMAX. We waited a very, very long time on those steps at the Cineworld IMAX in Leicester Square. Can I just say, and I'm sure I've mentioned this before, but I was in an interview with Russell Tovey and Russell T. Davis for years and years uh, at that point. And I that literally long? was in there with Boyd. And I literally <laughs> said to them, for years and years, yeah, it was a really long interview. It's very good. Uh, and I was in the interview and I literally said, anyway, I've got to go because I need to go and queue for Avengers Endgame. And both Russells, Davis and Tovey just looked at me as if I was like waiting for the punchline. And Boyd was like, he's not joking and I literally got up and walked out 
everyone went and joined the queue. So I was like, sorry, Endgame waits for no man. I'll see you later. So if you're... And, and did, did or did not Russell T. Davies end up sitting about two rows yes, in front of us? Yes, and he had better seats than I did. Yes. Uh, but uh, I imagine he had like special reserved, pre-reserved ones. That's what the uh, R stands for in RTD. Yeah. It's reserved reserved ticket seating. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah... I don't know. This feels like we've done this before. Now yeah. I'm thinking about it, but maybe it's just conversations that what, we've had. What but... non us us things have yeah. you queued for? Like I queued for quite some time for the Fellowship of the Ring. I was in Houston, Texas. I was still a lawyer, and I was doing an internship working on death penalty cases. And uh, there was a midnight. Back when you were a valuable member of society. You know, <laughs> I mean, I didn't do very much to help because I wasn't qualified. I've seen U.S. law, but you know, I, I did some stuff. Wow. And. Um, I went to a midnight screening and I probably got there at like nine-ish, but after nine and joined the queue and talked with some very unusual people in the queue who I, you know, never met again, but had a nice time chatting with. And the the atmosphere that night was was one of the great that was one of the great cinema experiences. It was up there with, you know, Cap picking up me all near. That was a an all time great screening. What's the moment in Fellowship of the Ring that would elicit audience cheers? You shall not pass. You shall really? not pass. Myself. Yeah, oh, fucking amazing. That's a, that's a great moment. Yeah, but then swiftly followed by "Fly, you fools!" Or rather, "You fools, come and help me up for fuck's sake." Anyway, I mean, sorry. he whole Balrog literally hanging on his ankle. You know, he... we've all been there. Not a euphemism. Anyway, uh, I my queuing thing, and this probably won't surprise any of you because I guess it's kind of in character. But I am um, the worst thing I ever did in a queue was the screening of oh, The Phantom God. Menace. A little glob the, came off your room. Yeah, there you go. At the Warner Village Cinema in Harrow-on-the-Hill. We arrived, not like late, late, but obviously the queue was monstrous when we got there. What film again? Sorry, I dozed off. The Phantom Menace. The Phantom Menace. Yes. I've never heard of it. And uh, I, I went to the front of the queue to the usher and I went, oh, excuse me, where are the toilets? Knowing full well where the toilets were. And he went, oh, you have to go in through there by the screens. I went... Excellent. And I went in and I hid in the doorway to the toilets until they let people through and then ran in. So I was first, even though I didn't queue, because I am that dreadful twat. Real, <laughs> that is a real emperor move. I know, right it there. was pure Palpatine, wasn't it? Yeah. Excuse yeah. me, where is the toilet? <laughs> Did you say At like that? We will reveal ourselves to the ushers. <laughs> oh, please don't do that. Oh, we will have revenge. That. Jesus, they work hard. <laughs> the guy over there has just revealed himself to us. Oh, no. <laughs> Did yeah. you just see a little glob come off his roller? Oh, oh dear. Come on dear. now. Come yeah, on. they watched me fight a snake. <laughs> anyway. Ah, communications disruption can mean only one thing. Yeah. I've edited James out of this podcast. <laughs> uh, much as I almost did Helen last week. Yes, uh, that's way, right. Yeah. Release the Helenless cut. Yeah. Uh, no, he did. That's yeah, the that's it. I know. That, I mean, if ever there were a, a kind of metaphor for the patriarchy, I think that was it. We released the podcast and just erased Helen from it. I was listening at home and I genuinely thought it was a bit at first. <laughs> and then I very quickly realised, oh, this is not a bit. James is talking, Chris is talking, every time it cuts to Helen, silence. It's just your life in microcosm, isn't it, Helen? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, yep. <laughs> Helen, how did you... You know, it, Sorry, was, it was lovely. I, I'd like to apologise for that, first of all, but how did, you, how did you feel? Because I think it was a text from you that first alerted me to this. No, because it I, was Ben's text. How did you feel about that when you realised that I had accidentally muted you? I mean, honestly, that I didn't really mind. All the interrupting that, you know, I usually get. There we go. 
<laughs> oh the lols. Oh the lols. Oh, turned your mic down, folks. <laughs> so funny. So, so funny. No, Helen, how did you feel? Seriously, I keep my hands where you can see them. <laughs> As HR obstructed. Oh my God. Honestly, it was no big deal. I'm used to being silenced by you. Oh, come on, hey. you and your patriarchy. Come on. Uh, so what happened was... Just very, very quickly, I uh, was editing the Sam Rockwell interview and I had three different tracks and I put it on the same track as you, but then I had you on different settings, so he sounded weird. So then I dropped him down, I copied him over to another track on which there was nobody, I muted you to make sure that I could hear him okay, and then I forgot to unmute you. Mm -hmm. Anyway, these things happen. Uh Uh-huh. Just once in 531 episodes. I think that's pretty good. And then at the time we uploaded the wrong file. But apart from that, we've done all right. Could be worse. Could be worse. Queuing. Ben, have you talked your... Have you said this? I mean, most of mine has been for press screenings because the majority of times, especially for films, like... But most of my life, you've had allocated seats. So you just book the good seat. And then you turn up in the good seat and then you're done. But really, it's it's some of those big press screenings where it's a free-for-all, it's a scramble, and we've been there very early. So yeah, Rise of Skywalker was definitely the longest one, but we did the long haul for Endgame and for Infinity War. And uh, in fact, we came really early to queue for Spider-Man No Way Home and there was, there was no queue. They weren't letting us queue. <laughs> oh. And the, the thing is, we have our whole ritual and like mm. somebody maybe goes off at some point and goes to Bun House and gets some buns and comes back and... You know, and it, was, it upsets the whole dynamic. What was the one we queued for recently and they came out to us and said it's allocated seating? And we were like, oh, this takes... It wasn't Spider-Man. It was, it was Multiverse of Madness. And Thor as well. I think that the rise of the multiplex has killed queuing for films, hasn't it? Because I remember queuing a lot to see films when I would go to see movies at my local cinema growing up in Banbridge in Northern Ireland, which was a single screen cinema called the Ive Cinema in Banbridge and I remember very distinctly you know it would sell out on Fridays and Saturdays much like yourself and you'd get the, yeah, much like I have now um, and you would get there early and the queue would wind its way around this circular building and you had to literally queue for, you know, for which is where Blockbuster comes from sometimes an hour hmm what? The term blockbuster. The term That's blockbuster. where blockbuster oh, yes, comes okay. from. Yes, yes, Not yes. the video chain store. People were queuing for a film. They got bored and they opened up a video <laughs> rental <laughs> store. Just <laughs> walk in here and we have loads <laughs> of movies. Exactly. Yeah. That is where it came from. True story. Yeah, yeah. But I think probably queuing for things like I can remember queuing for Seven. I can remember queuing for Return of the Jedi and a Police Academy and things like that. So Back to the Future. And it would, it would always be sold out. Except clearly it wasn't because then it closed. <laughs> But in my mind, but now you you, you don't have to because if you miss at 10 o'clock, don't worry. There's one at 10.30. If you mm. miss at 10.30, you know, so on and so forth. The longest I've queued for something else is probably about three hours to get front row at an REM gig. But that's okay. I'm willing to make that sacrifice. It was worth it. They were very good. Queued quite a lot for record store day. Oh, have to you? wait in a big old line. I've not done like crazy early. Record in. store day. It's a I day mean, I feel all like about the record name store. Is right there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but they release special. Is it like edition. Rex Manning Day? What is Rex Manning? <laughs> oh my God, Ben! Ben, you sweet summer child. <laughs> Says the man who doesn't know what record store day means. Yeah, but what is record store day? That record stores are open every day. I don't understand. 
But it's a special day where they release special edition records. You should have been all over it this year. The patron of Record Store Day was Taylor Swift, and she released a special seven-inch version of The Lakes. It was a whole thing. They do special edition releases of things. So if you want like a copy of something that's either been pressed to vinyl for the first time or reissued, and there's like a thousand copies in the world, and you have to queue at your local record shop if you want to be in a chance of getting some of these things. Now, some people genuinely queue overnight and from like four in the morning. I haven't done that. But um, especially back in Newcastle when it was doable walking distance, I'd wander down quite early in the morning and stick around in a queue for... Stick around. Stick around. And come back with all my records. Okay. Rex Manning Day is from Empire Records, which is a film you should see for so many reasons. I've seen the film. film. Hall H queues were a bit of a monster. I remember when Twilight were at Hall H at Comic-Con in San Diego and people had been queuing for like two days to get into that panel, which is just deranged. But, yeah. Right, shall we have a guest? Yes. If you want to have your question read out in the Empire Podcast and treat it with the respect it deserves, then you can follow in the footsteps of person who sent in question something wob I seem to recall that I've lost your name I'm so sorry this is my fault anyway do that and then hopefully we'll consider it for next week's show and I'm at Chris Hewitt on Twitter and that's the only game in town anyway guest 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 Christopher guest this is Christopher's guest this is a new segment it's a new segment on the show. Uh, so last week we did the live show at King's Place London. Thank Some you to everybody uh, who attended. And for those of you who watched it on the live stream as well, uh, I guess I should also say that if you still want to watch that show because it's not available as a podcast, then the live stream is still available for another couple of days. Go to kingsplace.co.uk and that's how you'll see the live show. But you're about to hear a part of the live show because our guest on the night was the fantastic Reese Shearsmith, who is one of the stars of See How They Run, the very, very fun comedy, thriller, murder, mystery that uh, Sam Rockwell and Saoirse Ronan star in as well. You heard Sam Rockwell on last week's show. Uh, Reese Shearsmith kindly came along on Saturday night and talked about all kinds of things with us. He talked about Inside Number 9. He talked about working on the League of Gentlemen over the years. He talked about working with Peter Kay, his friendship with Peter Kay, which continues to fascinate me because they're kind of comedy opposites. You wouldn't necessarily put those two guys together and yet they're always popping up in each other's stuff. Uh, what else did he talk about? He talked about Alan Partridge, working on Alan Partridge and Midmorning Matters. He talked about seeing how they run. He talked about all sorts of things and he was very, very funny and wise and eloquent and charming as he did so. Uh, ben and Helen were also on stage and chipped in every now and again with questions as well. So this is Christopher's and Ben's and Helen's guest. It's Rhys Shearsmith. Do please enjoy. The more astute of you will have noticed four chairs. We haven't left one chair empty out of respect to James. No, this is for our guest because we're going to start by bringing on our guest. What do you mean, Chris? That's usually halfway through the show. What the fuck are you doing? Well, we're ripping up the rule book. That's what we're doing. But who is our guest? Let me just double check. Ah, oh yeah, he's a good one. He's yeah, a good, good guest, yeah. Uh, he is a BAFTA-winning actor and writer and a gentleman who is part of my third favorite league, eh? Hey, Premier and Champions being the top two, obviously. And Justice, though. Justice? And, um, on the small oh. screen, he has taken us to Royston Fazy. He has taken us to Psychophil. 
and he's taken us inside a whole shitload of number nines. And on the big screen, he's been repeatedly terrorized by Ben Wheatley and can be seen this week in the tremendously fun all-star whodunit, See How They Run. Will you please welcome the extraordinary Reese Shearsmith! Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Reese, that's all the time we have, I'm afraid. <laughs> Thank Give you it up for <laughs> Can I realize yes, we, don't, we don't have any yeah. glasses or bottles out here. Can you just absorb water through osmosis? Is that yes, one of your many talents? Well, I got so dressed up to like um, Malcolm McDowell in Time After Time. <laughs> <laughs> and you did Hills of Eyes. <laughs> one of my favorite Malcolm McDowell films. Of course. <laughs> that, yes. I love Time After Time. It's good, isn't it? Yes. It is a good film. It's one of those movies that almost deserves to be remade because yeah. not very many people have seen it. My friend had it on... Uh, Laserdisc. That was how I first encountered it. That's how Wowzers. old I am. Imagine that. You know what that is? Laserdisc. <laughs> Used to like CDs, but massive. And he, um, yeah, Malcolm went down in that. And David Warner, of course. David the Warner, the late yeah. great David, was brilliant in that. Yeah, with whom you worked on uh, many times. Uh, yeah, yeah, Inside yeah. Number Nine and um, on. Um, what was the other thing we did? Oh, the League of Gentlemen, of course. Yeah, <laughs> he was great on uh, Inside Number Nine. He was very. He said, but he, uh, annoyingly, he was really pissed off because we did the trial of Elizabeth Gadge, which was this episode he did. And then the week earlier, it had been... No, the week before was the 12 Days of Christine and then the, the trial of Elizabeth Gadge. And everyone had liked the 12 Days of Christine, because I think because I wasn't in it. <laughs> and it was this episode with... Uh, and it, it went down very well. It was a very moving episode. And then David... Uh, was he, he rang me up? He said we didn't stand a chance. You shouldn't have put us on of that fucking twelve days of Christie. Because <laughs> it was it was a funny one, and that one had been quite a moving one. But that's the nature of the anthology, isn't it? That's the nature you know, of what it. you're going to get. Absolutely, I, I liked it whenever you were trying to remember something from your career, and you went, "Oh, what was it? Oh, League of Gentlemen." Uh, that's right, yeah. of course. But but it I, was twenty five years ago. Or true, true. But I guess now as well, just in, in terms of sheer volume as well, in terms of people you've worked with. Uh, inside number nine must be supplanting League of Gentlemen. When, when you're trying to remember, where did I work with that person? Oh yeah. In my mind, yes, that's all I've done for ever now. I don't remember my life before it because uh, <laughs> we've done it nearly ten. Next year it'll be ten years of number nine, and we never, in a million years, of course, thought it would go after six. You know, you do one thing. Yeah. We went in the meeting thinking it would be a renewal of Psychoville. We had some ideas for Psychoville, and they said, "So what's next?" And we were like, oh, fucking hell, they don't want it. <laughs> so we were very shocked. To, and then we thought on our feet, and I think it was either me or Steve, we just said, oh, uh, Tales of the Unexpected type thing where it's a different story. Literally, not, no idea. <laughs> and uh, oh, Saki. We, I remember someone, she said, oh, do you mean like Saki? And we went, yes, that's right. We do. <laughs> and we looked up what Saki was. We thought it was a, a drink. Anyway, so yes, we came up with these six stories, and then... Uh, we did them and we've been doing them for nearly 10 years. It just, they just keep renewing it. It's absolute hell. <laughs> My life did, is mean, a tyranny. Did, did this kind of make a rod for your own back? Yes, that's it, what it is. That's what it should be called. originality you have to have. Yeah, I mean, it's, the bar is, I think we've done some good ones. And, I, you know, the, the thing now is, what's the brilliant twist? And I, I, I hate it because it's, yeah. there's 28 minutes of storytelling, but that's the important thing. But it's not. It's just like, well, I, I, and so people watch it now just thinking, 
immediately of what the twist can be. I saw one tweet, it said, um, I've seen the post of this week's episode, I think I've got the twist. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, for fuck's sake, just think about that. (laughs) Anyway, so that's why I have high blood pressure. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good, good, good. You're on the live show, we'll help with that. uh, Yes. Always good. Uh, so we're you know, obviously we're here to talk about see how they run, but where is number nine at the moment? Where, where are you and Steve? Uh, we start filming again, series eight, in about two weeks, three oh, weeks. Wow. So we're in middle of pre-production, yeah. So we start uh, right through to the end of November. So um, have you had your various fittings? Yes, actually, I've got my wig fittings on Tuesday next week, but I've had all the costumes uh-huh. and uh, all the various bits and pieces. Yeah, so uh, I think they're good. I think they're we've done it again. You know, six. Well, we're happy with them. All we can do is be is try to ignore what we read and try. Obviously, clearly, I don't. <laughs> and write some new good stories, and yeah, that's all it's about, really. So uh, we've got a really good cast again of so people that want to do it. So uh, yeah, should be exciting. And we're filming it in Manchester. It's going to be like going back up north and filming the league. For monetary reasons, we are going up north. Um, I think to get some more money for the production. <laughs> And uh, yeah, so we're gonna, we've not done that before. But it'd be exciting, yeah. Make them thrill. I'm trying to learn lines. I should be in, at home learning lines. We can run lines with you. If you <laughs> no, want. no, you can't. That's the mad thing about it. I write it with Steve, and then when we, ret- we finally get to the stage of learning it, it's like six scripts, nothing to do with me. It's like, who wrote this shit? <laughs> <laughs> I have no memory of writing. It's like, not like it's all in my head because it came out of my head. That's such a terrible thing, that, because you like to think it was an easy process to think, well, just written it. So it's just there out on the tip of my tongue, but it's really not. But once you write it, then it's, it's out of your head. So it's on the paper. It's on you don't the have page, to worry about yeah, it exactly. Yeah, it's, um, it's difficult to, to do, but uh, you know, it's the least, it's literally the least I can do to learn the line. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, now you've done so many series of it, when you're coming in, because the episodes are so clever and they're so, as you say, there's the twist, but there's also the wider conceptual ideas. Is yeah. that a muscle that kind of reactivates? Do you have to really work at those ideas now, or do they just kind of come to you here and there, and you have a big inside number nine notebook? We do have lots of things scribbled down that are half ideas, because, you know, it's a great palette to think we could just go with that. Could that, you know, our lives are spent looking at people in shops and going, could that be a number nine? <laughs> and, or, or something, some situation. And, and a live podcast yes. at nine o'clock? Possibly, yeah. What could go wrong? But um, no glasses. Yes. But uh, yeah, we do. Um, it's getting harder, of course, because we've done 43 now with the Halloween special. So it's got more and more increasingly for ourselves to think mm, we've sort of done that already to great effect in that one. So it's, it's just sort of hard to think, would we, could we smuggle in this, the same nuts and bolts of a conceit, that, but it's hidden in a different story. But uh, we've got some, I think, some good ones up our sleeve that we feel like we haven't done before. I mean, character-wise, we've done every, I mean, I've only got three characters anyway, angry, <laughs> tired. <laughs> That's just crept up over the last few years. And um, yeah, I don't Pam know. Doof. And Pam Doof, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Should do a Pam Doof one. That would well, be good. I would be absolutely there. I'd be hammering on the door of the set going, let me in, please. We did I've have got some a, orange juice. There was a final uh, sketch for Pam Doof that we never did on in the league where it was, she'd made it. She was in, you know, at the Oscars, and there was the four, it was like Meryl Streep and Kathy Bates, Pam Doof, 
and uh, Jessica Lang or someone, and it was like, <laughs> and the winner is, and, and they were showing clips of the episodes, and she, <laughs> and you cut to her bit. It was, <laughs> And, the, and she'd won it. She'd won the. She won the Oscar. <laughs> but uh, oh, please, you guys take over because I'm just going to be laughing for the next ten minutes. I love Pam Poop so much. Uh, I'm bordering on the unhealthy that obsession, actually. But uh, but but yeah. I mean, so so in terms of recruitment, because you have worked with pretty much. If if you're a British actor at the moment, you've either done a Harry Potter or an Inside Number Nine over the last fifteen I years. I never or did so. a Harry Potter. That annoyed Those me. motherfuckers. <laughs> What's going on with that? I remember we all got availability checked, and it never got any further. So. It was slightly annoying. But a lot of people did do it and got cut, didn't they? So I was, yeah. Yeah. I was yeah. very pleased. Rick Mail got cut. Rick Mail got cut. Yeah. Yes. Cleese. Yes. Cleese got cut, didn't he? Yeah. Cleese got cut. Yeah. So that, I took some solace in that. Yeah. <laughs> good company. That's good company. <laughs> but yes, no, uh, yeah. we have a lot of people want to do number nine now. And it's sort of the reputation of it precedes it. And also it isn't just that it's good, it's handy. It's like a week's work and they can fit it in. So I think that's why they all say yes. <laughs> but... Um, so yeah, we've got a lot of some uh, some good guest stars, and most people we ask because you can't audition them, and they're all very big names, and yeah. you've got to just say, "Can you do it?" and "Will you do it?" and hope that they get it right. We've never had anyone gone come in and sort. We've gone, "Oh God, it's not at all like we imagined they would do it." I mean, actually, weirdly, there was in League when we first did uh, where David Warner. We want. He didn't do it like David Warner. It was like we want to do it like David Warner. <laughs> And he was David Warner. I don't know what he was doing. I think he was trying, finally, after 25 years, trying something different. No, no, don't. We want you as David Warner. Time bad, it's David Warner. No, it makes any difference. Oh, fucking hell, don't. Not on our thing. Anyway. Uh, but so my, my, my point is, in terms of um, See How They Run, which is this incredible cast, do you go around recruiting on the sly? Oh, well, sometimes I, I do, I, I've heard that people like it. And so I, I eventually bring it up and say, do you, have you heard of this? Sam Rockwell was, uh, started watching League and he was coming back increasingly afraid of me. <laughs> <laughs> Every day, I watched some more of that. And I was like, all oh, right, did you like it? Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I could tell he, he was backing away, but he, he, I think he did like it. He liked the... Um, the, the, he was intrigued by the cross-dressing. <laughs> I, I think he thought it was very Python-like and yeah. wacky. But yeah. Uh, yeah, we do try to just sort of sound people out whether they're interested. People say they're interested and then they say, oh, I'll do anything, I'll do anything, I'll, I'll make the sandwiches. And you give them a part and they go, mm, thought there'd be more. <laughs> thought there'd be more, it's not for me. <laughs> so they want massive parts. But of course, me and Steve do all those. Yeah. It's yeah. got to be a cameo. Know your place. <laughs> <laughs> if I can't be the main one in it, then what the fuck am what's I? The reason, <laughs> I've seen tweets, I have, I've seen them. Oh, I love that number. It'd be much better if them two weren't in it. <laughs> Imagine that. Who wrote that? Oh, some fucker. I'm going to track them down. I apologise profusely. <laughs> I didn't mean it. It was, it was a rash reaction. I knew it was you. <laughs> yes, but imagine that, meeting that. It would be much better if those two weren't in it. I don't know what to think about it, really. I mean, other than want to get them and tie them up and do a bit of price on them. I think we should, we should probably dwell on that and just sit here in silence just for think a good. Yeah, yeah. Just, <laughs> think it's the worst down. thing that's yeah. happened this week. <laughs> <laughs> for me, anyway. <laughs> So, see how it runs fun, isn't it? 
<laughs> yes, it is. It's good. I mean, that was done. I mean, it was a long time. Twenty twenty one February, we filmed it, and it was that was st- that was lockdown two, and uh, it was still very frightening to be to go out and uh, be in crowds. That hadn't happened to me for a long time. So. In the film, there's scenes, you know, with like this in an, in an audiences of people because a lot of it is in theatre land in the West End, and there's a scene where we were filming in a foyer of the Dominion. It was actually replacing the Ambassadors, where okay. their mousetrap is on. So it was a hundreds of extras, all t- tested, but you, it was like, right, masks off, everybody, and it was like, <gasps> and we were all terrified, wandering through these masses of people, and you just hoped it would be all right, but we'd all become completely paranoid and terrified that you would never come back so it was a real ray of hope to be filming anything at that point although I had been in 2020 of the summer of the height of it me and Ben Wheatley went and did In the Earth yes. so that yeah. was another mad experience but uh, yeah it was great in terms of shooting experiences I can't imagine anything potentially more different than In the Earth scrabbling around in tents foot injuries yes. versus see how they run London theatres. Yeah. Lots of nice Party kind clothes. of luxury costumes. It was very uh, chalk and cheese. It was completely different. I mean, the Ben, when that film was filmed in 12 days, it was like something ridiculous for two weeks. That's Ben's always fun. amazing though. He's always like, well, it's not Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the Meg 2. It's not the Meg 2, which is now good. <laughs> I don't know see why am I not in fucking Meg 2? <laughs> I mean, clearly I am the, the Donald Pleasant's moral yeah. coward that gets killed by the Meg, too. You'll have to write an inside number nine where you get to punch a shark. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> or punch Ben Wheatley. <laughs> I'm joking. He's very kind. He's, put, he's given me very good parts, Ben. He has. I have to write my own in any walk of life the rest of the time. <laughs> but uh, here yeah. comes Ben. Yeah. yeah. It's great. Yeah. No, uh, In the Earth is, uh, if you haven't seen it, Check it out as well. Uh, it was a sort of um, modern sequel to Field in England, really. Yeah. My character was the same, sort of a descendant of the same character. It was called Zach Whitehead. His surname was never mentioned, but it, it was Whitehead. Yeah, it's interesting. But yeah, see how the run is, is, is great fun. It was lovely to be part of an ensemble like that of, of great actors. And it, obviously, I wanted to, I knew I had scenes with Sam Rockwell and Adrian Brody and these like, people that you've only seen in the in the screen. I felt like I'd won a competition. <laughs> it's great. And you were playing a real person. I was, weirdly, yes. It was that some characters in it are, I mean, very loosely. They're not, no, they, I didn't do the things. Although, weirdly, actually, yes, I played John Wolfe, who was the producer of The African Queen and Oliver. And actually, in a strange, serendipitous um, turn of events, he ended up being the head producer of Anglia TV's Tales of the Unexpected. Hey. So from one showrunner of an anthology to me. And yeah, it was, that was an interesting thing that I found out later yeah. on, actually. Yeah. But so John Wolfe wow. tried for many years, I think, to get the rights to film The Mousetrap, the fabled um, play in the West End that was running and running. But of course, because of this um, clause that the Queen of Crime put in that states that you, uh, you, couldn't, you could start a film after six months after the play finishes. It's been on for 75 years. <laughs> so he never got to do it. And that's sort of the, my trajectory in the film, that I want this film of this play, and it's never stopping. <laughs> and so murder ensues, yeah. It's, it's good, a, it's great yeah. film. It's a big old juggernaut, The Mousetrap. I interviewed uh, Sam Rockwell for the podcast uh, last week. Yeah. And he says he's never seen The Mousetrap. Right. Yeah. 
And I don't know anyone apart from Helen who goes to every play. Uh, I don't know anyone who's actually gone to the mousetrap. So I'm wondering how the fuck is this still going, obviously. But have yes. you... I've seen it. Yeah, yeah, I knew someone in it, so I went a couple of times. I've, I know. It's, it's, what it is now is strange. I mean, it's not like a play anymore because that building that it's in, it's like some sort of museum piece, isn't it? <laughs> Theatres really? are meant to be productions and they come and go and they're on for a certain amount of time. And it's a theatre house and you it houses pr productions and plays, but this is just on there all the time. There's a very famous, funny story about the woman, a woman that was, for many years, I think she started out as a teen and ended up being one of the old people in it, understudy of the people in the mousetrap. And she was never on, never on. Everyone was obviously consummate professionals, never needed, but always has to be in the building. And finally, the day came when uh, someone was ill. Margaret. Yes, she's just knitting. You're on. Tonight you're on. Pre um, Phyllis is off, you've got to be Oh. Right, yes. Yeah, okay, good, great. Left the building, never came back. I'm sure they saw it again. I'll just get nice. I'm going to go in, um, yes, get a, a glass of Coke. Never came back. No. But I think that's a true story, yeah. But, uh, oh, I it, hope it is. It's really a good story, so. isn't it, yeah. Yes, the most is fun. I went uh, to Edinburgh Festival this year and I went and took my kids who've not seen The Mousetrap and I was planning to take them to see it and we went to this show and within a minute the fucker said who did it in The Mousetrap no. out the blue just on just in his monologue I went oh, I was so angry I thought this has not been worth ruining The Mousetrap just, <laughs> and they were both they both went and looked at me and I was like and I was really upset so uh, I don't know what to do about it. I can't so is that process another it. Again, another thing. List of revenge. Yes, yes. It's <laughs> another one. When I go around doing my yeah. Doctor Fives and get everyone back, <laughs> there's plenty of people. It's going to take years of different contraptions. <laughs> Some kind of kill list, maybe. Possibly, yes. yes, yes that's yeah. a good idea. Some little spiraling creature on a bike saying he wants to play a game. <laughs> yeah. I rewatched uh, Theatre of Blood recently, and uh, again, another film that could be remade nicely. I think, yes. I think you're, you've just put yourself up for the lead. Yeah, I'm li Lionheart in real life. Yeah. Yes, I'd love to do that. I um, screened that at. And so many people haven't seen it. And let me just ask here how many people have seen Theatre of Blood? <gasps> what? It's astonishing for a there's podcast. A, there's a group up there that clearly went there's together. There's a few people. Yeah. <laughs> No one else has seen it. I mean, it's 1976. You know what, as well? The other interesting thing, well, it's not for you lot because you haven't fucking seen it. <laughs> it's a great cast of British character actors. Oh, my God, yeah. Filled okay. off, they play a, a critic's circle that have been horrible to this one actor, Vincent Price, for many years and never liked him. So he gets them all and kills them all in Shakespearean deaths. And it's absolutely brilliant. You should all go home now and watch it <laughs> but the character the, the lead head critic of the critic circle was, is played by Ian Hendry in the film but in originally offered and turned it down David Warner oh. and he would have literally been, I mean Ian Hendry is brilliant in it but David then was the Hamlet of his generation it would have been perfect because the whole thing is about this grand old actor that never does anything else but Shakespeare and this and the younger generation coming through and David was it at that time it would have been perfect I can't. Oh, I wish God. I could go back in the time machine that he had in time after time and make him do it. <laughs> I can him see him it. now in, in Henry's polo neck. Yes, of course you, know, you with, can. With, with, with the hair and yeah. oh, it would have been, been tremendous. Yes, I know. Um, one of the things I've wanted, wanted to ask you about, because uh, I've yes. interviewed Reese a number of times over the years, uh, is Peter Kay. Because yes. you guys 
you crop up at his stuff all the time. Yes. Uh, if if I'm ever down in the dumps, there's a couple of things I always watch to cheer myself back up again. One, I'm not just saying because Reese is here, is Pamela Doob's first appearance on the League <laughs> of Gentlemen is incredible. Two is the uh, outtakes from Car Share. Uh, particularly the episode where Reese appears uh, singing Here Comes the Hot Step," uh, <laughs> which is one of the funniest things you will ever see and yeah. I just love this kind of weird I say, from the outside looking in it seemed at first unlikely friendship between between two people who I would say are maybe not comedically initially comedically entwined but yeah I, I guess it. so yeah I'm good friends with Peter I've known him for a long time I did Max and Paddy with him as well yeah. and uh, he came to see league shows and stuff and uh, He's very funny. I mean, well, that day when we did the, uh, the the car share was so hard to get through. I mean, I just was doing the lines. I didn't think it was going to crack him up. But then, of course, once I knew I'd got to him. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. So I just sort of got, did it, made it worse and worse. <laughs> I can't even remember what I was saying now. But, uh, yeah, he was crying with laughter. And, it, and it's... <laughs> It's de he's devilish because it's all on his terms. He gets cross if um, if you laugh. All right, okay. But he's all right if he can do it. Because obviously it's his thing, so you just sort of go along with um, with what happens. But him and Coogan, both very uh, gigglers. You know, when I did, I did um, Partridge Mid-Morning mid Matters as well with Steve, and he's also very... I made him laugh a lot. I was making him laugh talking... In the middle of the takes, I started telling him about how I... I didn't do it, but I saw someone do it when I was at school. They threw paracetamols to pigeons. <laughs> they ate them and they flew in the air and they died and came down again. <laughs> the stomachs exploded. So he was in the middle of trying to do partridge and he had this image of these exploding pigeon stomachs. <laughs> it's cruel, I'm not advocating it. But that, I'm just telling you as it happened. Just I'm making no judgment about no it. Judgment. <laughs> you probably shouldn't do it. <laughs> I've thought about it and I've thought about it. You probably shouldn't do it. How tightly scripted is what was Mid-Morning Matters? Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> a bit like um, Witchfinder, which I also did with the, oh, yeah, uh, the Gibbon yeah. um, brothers. They, it is scripted, but Steve will go and go until he's happy with how he's got it. So you've, just, you've sort of got to go with him being happy and then passing it over to you at some point and you're just sat waiting like, are you ready now? So, and he, he's got sort of a brilliant mind where he'll take what they've done and he'll he's so sort of frustrated that he'll get a laugh once and then it's already sort of used up right. that he feels like it's not funny anymore so it yeah. has to be funny funnier 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 and you know that's how it becomes this brilliant thing but uh, he was he was good with uh, I really enjoyed doing that I was quite nervous to sort of go in the room and see him as quite amazing to see him as partridge you know it's like seeing faulty tire like faulty or someone <laughs> so iconic but uh, yeah, he was great. And but yeah, Peter's thing is always—it's great fun to work with Peter. And he's very—he loves our dark comedy. It's not what yeah. he does, of course. But he's, in he's got the movie, isn't he? He is, yeah, yeah with Simon Pegg. Yeah, yeah, just a very short bit where they're both sort of in another room. He's Simon's got his bum sticking out between the wall, and his the scroll is in his ass cheeks. <laughs> That's the level that we used to operate. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do it things differently now. <laughs> anyway. Well, we, we, we'll see. We'll wait for season eight. Inside <laughs> <laughs> number nine. Oh, Can no. you believe they used to cross over with crosswords in The Guardian? Now look where we I are. Know. I know. <laughs> Scrolls up the arse cheeks. <laughs> uh, unbelievable. It's the one laugh, isn't it? 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what else? What's next for you apart from more number nine? More number nine. Um, I just did, excitingly, and it's a brilliant script, um, Emerald Fennell, who wrote uh, Promising Young Woman. I did a part in her new film, Saltburn, which is really good. I read it. I can't... I mean, I read a lot of scripts and generally I'm just wading through them because they're all shit and mine are the best ones. (laughs) (laughs) Not as good as what I can write. (laughs) Spielberg. (laughs) However, this is why I know I don't get any work either. Um, (laughs) This was really good and it was literally a page turn. I, I was excited reading it, if you can imagine that. Imagine reading something and like and being pulled into it. Never happens, ever. <laughs> uh, Except when you forget that you've La- Lady Bird Boat, or my own scripts. Yeah. Oh, your own scripts, <laughs> of course. Yeah. But this was really good. Yeah, it's, it's going to be great, I think. And she's uh, really good. And I was a big fan of, of that film. It, she was, she's great. It's a very dark woman. Amazing. It was great. But uh, uh, and, lo- and I've got other things, but I can't. Talk, not allowed to talk about them unless I'll be killed. <laughs> so uh, yeah, some no. things coming up that are exciting next year. A rest at Christmas, I think. So keep keep and peel, keep and peel, folks. Yeah. Uh, it's not often that we have a guest who's reluctant to leave the stage, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I like but it. But I do have to. I will turn into a, a toad or something. <laughs> I don't get out of the room quick. Yeah, well, Ben will drag you off stage. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's how it works. But it's been a total pleasure. Thank you so much Thank for coming. You. Please give it up once again. Okay, so that was Reece Shearsmith, and now it's time to talk about this week's movie news. And I guess the big movie news still comes from D23, which took place last week. So a large part of the live show was us literally Googling D23 as it was happening right then, because we were expecting the Fantastic Four to be cast, and that, of course, did not turn out to be the case. But there was lots of Marvel slash Star Wars slash Willow slash animation news that came from D23. Where do you want to start? Can I ask something controversial? Yes. So I touched on this a little bit on the Pilot TV podcast. But but you want to talk about it on a podcast people listen to, I understand. <laughs> yes. Also, this one goes out first, Pilot doesn't go out till Monday. Um, but, but, wow, he's pre-spoiling his own podcast. Yeah, I am. I am uh, in so many ways. But I... <laughs> and I, and I, I feel like dirty just saying this, but was there a sense at the end of that D23... Like my, my emotional state at the end of all that D23 stuff was not as much excitement as it was exhaustion. But I just felt a bit like, oh God, there is so much of this. And don't get me wrong, there's so, I, I, I'm a firm believer you can't have too much of a good thing. But I sometimes feel you that... Can, maybe a little bit. Your arteries, too many your arteries would argue otherwise. That's true. But you know what I mean? Like, I felt like there's just so much. And some of it I neither want nor asked for. And some of it I am excited about. But... <laughs> Regardless, there's just a lot. And I kind of think that... Because because there's never a point in our lives now where there's not a new Marvel thing happening in some fashion, I feel maybe it takes some of the magic away from the cinematic events. Not that I'm in any way saying that the TV is bad and the films are good, because I would never do that, obviously. But I don't know. I, I feel like maybe like the event of those movies being like... Because our calendars were, it was like, you know, it would be sort of flatline. Then you get a spike from one of these films, and a spike from one of these films, and now it's just... Marvel is it's like a constant, always-on... Am I the only one who feels this? Yeah, I get what you're saying, but I didn't feel like this was that moment. And, and I also feel like Marvel is maybe uh, scattering a little bit, and it's getting to a point where maybe you don't have to keep up with everything. Maybe some things are simply not for you and for other people. 
you know, and I feel like if, if that's going to continue, if there are stuff, if there's stuff that's kind of more adult, maybe getting into R-rated at some point. I feel like we yeah. might get to the point where, you know, you follow the streams you Extreming, follow. Streaming, yeah. So, so you're just like, this will go over there. That's not for me. This is for me. Exactly. Yeah, perhaps you're right, and it's different flavors. I think I'm still in that slightly obsessive completist mentality where I'm like, there is nothing about the MCU I have to experience all of it. I need all of it for completeness sake. I need to understand everything so every reference is in my brain. And it just, I got to the point where I was like, you know, we've got Secret Invasion, yes, excited about that, and Armor Wars and this and that. And You understand that completism is not always a good thing, right? I mean, we've, like, you, you know you know me, when I recommend Pratchett to people, like Terry Pratchett books, which are some of the greatest literature, yeah. I believe, in the last 20 years. And, and I'm always last saying, 20 years. do not, 30, but okay. do not start with the first two Mort. because start they are Mort. not start with Mort because mm. the first two are not yet the full thing I it's like Rinswind I like I like the colour magic they're, yeah. they're not bad but they're not they're not the best they're not the good stuff you mm. that is going to get people hooked in the same way Chris that you would you and have said that none of the phase one films are you know Top, top, top tier Marvel. Uh, apart anymore. from Avengers. Apart from Avengers. But I still feel you, know, you have to start. From you the probably it, it is helpful actually in that case to yeah. watch those. But do you know what I mean? Like it takes a little bit of time yeah. to get going, and sometimes completism can be self-defeating. Do you know what? From an MCU point of view, and I know we've done articles on this, and we're now just getting sidetracked again. But I sometimes think the best way into the MCU is Guardians of the Galaxy, and the reason is because you can take it out of the timeline, and it doesn't affect anything because it almost stands on its own. So I would almost watch Guardians because it's super good, and then go back and. Slog through Iron Man. <laughs> hey. Uh, but do you know what I mean? Because Guardians, you can pull it out of that timeline a little bit and it doesn't it doesn't interrupt things too much. I think there's a handful of ones like that as well. I think you could do the same with Spider-Man Homecoming or Black Panther as well. Like a lot of the introductory mm. films for characters that exist. Too much Stark in Homecoming for it to be the first thing you want. But then I think you're like, you're so charmed by all the Spider-Man stuff. Then it's like, well, oh, the, the fun stuff of him and Tony Stark. Well, Tony Stark, let's go back to Iron Man. And there he is. And there he is. And we're in a cave for 40 minutes. Uh, yeah. I think what James is saying in his usual bumble, <laughs> long way around fashion is Thunderbolts. So that's what you're saying, isn't it? You know, there's, there was excitement in the room and then they announced a Thunderbolts movie and, and that was Do you know what? Do you know what? I'm quite excited about Thunderbolts. Okay, like, that's okay. Let's I, talk about that. I'm here for that because I like so many of the characters, like Red Guardian, Yelena, like so many, I mean, not, all of the characters, let's Should be honest. Val can fuck right off. US agent can fuck right Shall off. Shall we explain what it is for people? Who oh, don't okay, know. fine. Yeah, go for it. Villain oh, well, you expect me to do the explaining thing? <laughs> the two of you stop talking and just look at me. It's the next team up movie. Yeah. End of phase five is going to be Thunderbolts. And it's a load of sort of baddies, sort of goodies They've gone riding that line. They've gone anti heroes. Whereas they're actually got... traditionally kind of more villainous, aren't they? So The thing they did at D23 was confirm the lineup. So you've got yeah. Yelena Belova uh, from Black Widow. You've got Red Guardian from Black Widow as well. You've got US Agent from Falcon and the Winter Soldier. You've got uh, Bucky is going to be part of that lineup. Um, who else is it? What's a face from from uh, Sonny Birch from Ant Man and the Wasp? Uh, sadly, was, was... overlooked. Yeah, he should be running that group. If you ask me, not Val. Val's the Julia Louis Dreyfus character who we saw briefly. And what's uh, her in actual Falcon and the Winter Soldier title? In this? She has like a name name, doesn't it's she? Really long. Yeah, uh, but she was in Falcon and the Winter Soldier and briefly the end of Black Widow, and is one of the few uh, really awful missteps for me that the MCU has mm. made. And I would hope that they would be rebooting and retconning her character significantly. And Ghost. Make her better and ghosts yeah. as well. Hannah John, John Kamen. Yeah, it, I, I'm not excited about it on paper, but then some of my favorite MCU projects I have Fair. been excited about yeah. on paper. Speaking of which, I liked this stuff in Hawkeye, but Sophie Butcher, who was at D23 for us and saw a bunch of things in the room, 
the thing she said she was most impressed by with the Marvel stuff was Echo. The stuff they spoke about with Echo, the stuff they showed from Echo looked and sounded really interesting. And I can understand what how what that experience of being in the room and seeing stuff that you're like, ah, this actually feels different. In the room where it happens. In the room where it happens, because I don't think I've mentioned before, but I was at Star Wars Celebration this year. <sighs> and none of us have been like massively in the tank for Andor, but among a lot of the things they showed, it was like the, the Andor stuff looked really good and really interesting and maybe that is the case that that is how what the feelings quite are about possibly, the show quite mm-hmm. possibly I wasn't I, I wasn't wild about that character Echo in, in Hawkeye Echo. Echo. Uh, I think if they had waited for the reaction to that show we would not have had an Echo so I don't see that you would commission a show based on on that but they pre-commissioned it mm. So they clearly have more to do with her than we've seen so far, and they clearly have a plan. I, I think you're right. I mean, I think there could have been more maybe heavy lifting done in that show and a bit more time spent on character moments, on building her up, not just sort of establishing kind of tragic backstory stuff, but actually establishing character and and personality as well. Um, but I think it is really important. I think she means a lot to especially deaf fans of Marvel because she is going to be, you know... Uh, the first deaf Marvel lead, and I think that is a big, big deal for a lot of people. So, you know, I'm, I'm excited about that. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that they have much more than they've shown us on screen so mm-hmm. far. I thought she was likable, but slight uh, in terms of the character we, we saw from her there. So, I hope there's more to come. The thing that Sophie said as well, from what they spoke about in the room about Echo, was that it's going to be quite a lot. It's going to delve quite a lot into her. Native American identity and heritage and what that means and that is a different perspective on the MCU than we've had before as well so it sounds like there's interesting stuff like she was just a small part of Hawkeye but maybe they identified early on do you know what there's a more interesting story to tell with this character that's going to work in that show in a way that she's just I don't know a piece of the puzzle I hope so I hope so because you know I I think you know I I, I get all those points and I think it's, it's tremendous and it's going to be great to see that and it's obviously very very laudable but I think based on a character standpoint I don't think that character worked as well I I liked Hawkeye an awful lot but I don't think that character worked as well as some of the more memorable aspects of of Hawkeye Kate Bishop obviously being one of them but they've got Kate Bishop they've got cinematic plans I would imagine for Haley Steinfeld and for Kate Bishop Kate Bishop Kate Bishop (laughs) and um and other stuff, the Secret Invasion trailer looked good. I, I Secret think. Invasion trailer looked really good. I mm. don't have the emotional connection to those comics that you and Amon seem to have. I've, I've not, no, no, I've, I've got, I've got a, a big emotional connection to Scrolls, but I, the Secret Invasion huge mega arc kind of I got a little bit dense and confusing. I read me. it all. Yeah. Even the spin-off things, I really yeah. loved it. But the, obviously, it's all about like Skrulls are villainous, whereas in the MCU, Skrulls have traditionally not been villainous. I'm, I'm curious to see how Secret Invasion, aka Skrullfucked, deals with that You know that pivot. Is it going to be a faction of Skrulls? How's it going to work? It seems to be that that is what it is. It seems to be a faction of Skrulls, but in order for that to happen, for them to have infiltrated the MCU to some degree, there's got to be a fair amount of them, mm. I would guess. And also, can they take people's powers on in the way that the Super Scroll can, the Super mm. Scroll who has the powers of all of Fantastic Four, can these scrolls pretend to be someone? But the fact that Ben Mendelssohn's Talos is one of the heroes of this, mm. that's already an interesting wrinkle yeah. Yeah. that we have. So I, I think, think it's going to be a bit of scroll Civil War-ness. Yes. Yeah. And he's interested as well because obviously he had that emotional wrinkle, emotional layer in Captain Marvel, but he was by and large very, very funny. 
And the only other time we've seen him since isn't far from home, unless I'm wrong on that. But and he was very funny in that, you know, briefly when he showed up at, mm. at, the, at the end of that movie. Uh, and so Liss, the trailer for Liss looks much more serious, conspiracy thriller, and it looks terrific. And what a cast. It also looks very much like a Nick Fury show, which yeah. I'm kind of excited about him being a bit more front and center. Mm. A patchless fury. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's the thing I was struck by most with this trailer, that even though it's scrolls, it's aliens, it doesn't look like the big, wacky space alien show. It looks more like the Winter Soldier or the Falcon and the Winter Soldier or that kind of gritty, political, paranoid thriller thing. Um, it feels like it's been maybe a little while since we've had that flavor of Marvel, so maybe it's arriving at quite a nice point after we've had crazy, colorful space rainbows and... Uh, colourful as tech you know Wakandan stuff towards the end of this year uh, what else was there there was a, a trailer and an appearance by the cast of I'm not sure whether Ryan Coogler was there but uh, perhaps he was you can correct me on that uh, the cast of Black Panther Wakanda forever and there was a trailer for that there was also a trailer for Ironheart I don't think those have been released yet I would imagine that the plan was to release them this week they might have deferred as a mark of respect to the passing of the Queen I mean, it sounds like they showed a bunch of stuff that was really exciting, but there was like, you have to be in the room at D23 to see it. There was a, a Quantumania trailer as well. Oh um, my God. Yeah, which, you know. Well, that's, that's, that brings us on nicely to the last bit of Marvel news I do want to talk about because we've got some Star Wars news, animation news, other things to talk about also, which is that they seem to have found their writer, Marvel, for Avengers, the Kang Dynasty, and that writer is Jeff Loveness. Now that's interesting and significant, not being officially confirmed, but again, if the trades are going with it, then that means that pretty much it's it's a done deal. Uh, and it's interesting because Jeff Loveness is also the writer of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. So he is basically because he who remains in Loki, in Loki season one's finale is not technically speaking Kang the Conqueror. <laughs> so he's going to be the guy who wrote and shaped and crafted the introduction of Kang the Conqueror, the big bad guy of the next couple of phases, in the MCU. And clearly, Kevin Feige has liked the cut of his jib and has gone, you know what, you're the guy to write the big, the next big Avengers movie. Doesn't mean he's going to write Secret Wars. Um, it doesn't mean that Destin Daniel Cretton, who's directing Kang Dynasty, is going to direct that movie either. I think those movies are going to be so big they will have different directors just to lessen the workload. But I've been wrong about many things on this podcast, so... Who knows? But Jeff Loveness, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, it's look, it's a good sign, I think, for Quantumania. Um, we don't really know enough about that yet for me to say much about how it affects Kang, but um, I'm, I'm hopeful, very hopeful. I mean, Marvel's done well in the past when it's kept consistency with writers, like Marcus and McFeely, who did every Captain America movie and then went on to Infinity War and Endgame. And having that through line, those people who clearly understand the characters mm -hmm. and can plant stuff along the way, whoever that is, if, they, if they've seen the potential in this guy that he can do that, I'm excited to see what that is. Uh, what happened in the world of Star Wars at D23? Yaddle. Yes, Yaddle Yaddle returns. <laughs> you asked for it. They demanded it. They have answered. Yaddle will be back. And 
I think, fighting Count Dooku and backflipping and all sorts. So if you wanted Attack of the Clones, that end scene, but with a little ginger wig in there as well, <laughs> you've got it, baby. Count Dooku's wearing a ginger wig? Yeah, it's unexpected. So is this in Tales of the Jedi? This yeah. is Tales of the Jedi, which is a series of animated shorts, half of which will tell the story of young, even younger Ahsoka. Half of them will be about... <laughs> young Count Dooku, which then will also bring in Qui-Gon Jinn, a younger Qui-Gon Jinn played by Liam Neeson's son, and a regular Qui-Gon Jinn voiced by a returning Liam Neeson. They showed footage, and I think maybe even one of the little episodes at Celebration. I didn't see that. It was in a separate panel. Uh, But they've released this footage now for the first time. There's a trailer for Tales from the Jedi, and it comes from the Filoni animation stable. So it's kind of in the same visual style, the same visual tone as... The Clone Wars and the Bad Batch. What you need to know, Chris, it is another installment of the blah blah. The blah blah. Yeah. I'm fully on board. But I, I'm I'm appalled by Ben, quite frankly. You call yourself a journalist. Oh, it was in a different room. It was in a different well, room. Do you think I would have stopped Woodward and Bernstein? Sorry, guys, we don't have the scoop on Watergate because Deep Throat was in another garage. Garage? Garage? That's a weird way to say it. Also, I just said the word garage, like garage. Garage. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to go for an American pronunciation then I pulled back at the last minute and our fact, what happened was a car crash and I mm. hope we never speak off again. I'll mute myself. Probably best. I think it probably is. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, that, that's out of the way. Uh, no, I think I did a good job then? of saying the things at the celebration. Uh, in the Star Wars, it was slightly quieter. It was kind of just following up on the stuff from Celebration. So they announced a Celebration that Jude Law is part of the cast for Skeleton Crew, which is the John Watts co-created what? upcoming Star Wars series that is part of the Mando timeline. It's in centrally around like a group of kids who are off on some kind of Star Wars the adventure that they probably shouldn't be on. Oh. Uh, he said it's it's a show about kids, but it's not a kids show, and that the main adult piece of casting is Jude Law. And they brought Jude Law out at D23. So what? he came and said, hey. But I don't think there was much to really show there. There was a new Andor trailer, but again... They, and it's here any minute. a lot know? of Andor yeah. stuff. Speaking of Andor, by the way, uh, Ben interviewed Tony Gilroy and Diego Luna uh, for a... Nandor preview and that sounds like Nandor Nandor uh, Nandor yeah, what we'll 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 in the shadows <laughs> season 4 preview uh, for an Andor pre- <laughs> it's, one of my, it's one of my favourite countries in Wheel of Time I will say that is it? Which one? Andor. 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 Look, James laughed because he's the person in the room who's read it. It's but. not where Alan the Warder is from, but it's close enough. Al Lan, there is an apostrophe. <laughs> Apostrophes matter. We've been through this. <sighs> The Andor preview podcast special will be up early next week, just ahead of the show's three-episode debut. Who has the time to watch three episodes in a single day? It's like the Crowded House song. It's like Make it. Time. Make time. Make time. It's like, I don't know. They're out there 85 hours long. I'm not sure. They're not. They're under 40 minutes. Oh, okay. I hear. I'm, I'm I don't there. know. I'm here. <laughs> 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 don't know anyone who does know. I, I couldn't possibly say that I've got four episodes on them. I just don't know. Yes. No. Nobody knows. Anyway, uh, so that's going to be up next week. Uh, you must give me those files. <laughs> Otherwise, they're not going to be up next week. So you can give me those files. The I like to do admin during the podcast. I'm going to run along a corridor while James is chasing me with a red lightsaber and I'm going to pass the files through the door. And then I'm going to kill you. 
That's yes. how this ends, right? <laughs> yes. But this ends with me looking immaculate in a white dress and like... And saying, you know, hope. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this ends with me going, did you hear that? They've shut down the main reactor. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. We call it Project Stardust. <laughs> anyway, look out for that. And also our first Andor spoiler special will be up next week as well. So I guess I better watch the first four episodes, whatever it is. And or the spoiler special. And or the spoiler special. I'll make my mind up about it. <laughs> watch both. Yeah. Um, animation stuff happened. So, so much. Barry Jenkins was on stage at D23 and he was talking about The Lion King. His prequel to The Lion King is called Mufasa, The Lion King. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it is. And it's all about how Mufasa became a king. It, I just felt like... Of you know, lions. Of li- I mean, he is a lion and he's a big, strong boy lion, so it kind of makes... I don't know what the mystery is there that we're going to... But apparently, according to this, it's a story about how Mufasa rose to royalty and he was born an orphaned cub. I said this on the live show, but I still don't understand that phrase, but okay. And uh, (laughs) this will explore his journey into the circle of life. Again, aren't you just born in the circle of life? Aren't aren't you naturally part of the circle of life? Do you have a journey to the circle of life? Not if you're born an orphaned cub. Then oh, you don't have anyone to lift you up in the mountain. Uh, Inside Out is getting a sequel that no. I, I feel like zero Outside people in. predicted. That's a thing that's happening. Uh, this time Riley will be a teenager and will be dealing with all of the crazy hormones and emotions of that. I'm not excited about that. Well, I think you're a fool because it's based on Inside Out, which is one of the greats. So I'm I'm very hopeful for that at the very least. But the person who made Inside Out great is not involved. Well, he is involved. He's just not directing. Not good. And we don't know enough about the new person to say that they won't also be great. Who knows? Uh, And The Little Mermaid had a teaser. This is the quote-unquote live-action version of The Little Mermaid. And we got to see and hear Halle Bailey's Ariel, uh, who is in very good voice and is looking pretty cool. So I think there's there's going to be some very difficult uh, effects to get right. Uh, From everything I hear, it was a very, very tricky film to make, just to get that swimming motion and everything. but fingers crossed that the CG keeps up with their ambitions. Should we talk about non-Disney news? <laughs> Should we talk about the Babylon trailer? Because he referenced it at the beginning of the podcast, yeah. which means it's become a runner, and now we have to talk. We have to talk about it. Also, it's a really good trailer. I love the first two films by Damien Chazelle. Whiplash is an all-timer. It's incredible. I have so much love for La La Land. Yeah. And I have to say, First Man left me a bit cold. I'm going to go back and rewatch it at some point because I've seen people this week saying, oh, no, it's worth revisiting. But it's it was a very different type of Damien Chazelle film. And with Babylon, his new one... Babylon! It's not a David Gray biopic. It has nothing to do with David Gray. Uh, it's it, a pity. That's a good is, song. That's a better song than you're giving it, you know, credit for. Please forgive me. You're back to the strange. You get a bit James, James Blood now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm my lover. What? I'm my friend. You were, going you, you were going James Blunt. You weren't going James Blunt. He's James Blunt. Anyway. He's Blunt James. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> rhymes with Blunt. He's James Rhymes with Blunt. <laughs> Babylon, Damien Chazelle. Yes. It's set in 1920s Hollywood yeah. and all the crazy excess uh, that that brings with it. So drugs and crocodiles snakes. and elephants and snakes and lavish parties and people... Uh, absolutely gigantic movie productions uh, like they had in the oldie timey times. And uh, the trailer for this, it kind of looks like Damien Chazelle doing 
a Baz Luhrmann movie. It is like excess on excess on excess, uh, style up the wazoo. Even this trailer, there is so much energy to it. Um, you don't really get a huge sense of the plot, but you kind of see that Margot Robbie is playing a character who has big dreams in Hollywood, but maybe is involved a in some sketchy shit and b in tons of cocaine. This is a like not officially a red band trailer, but this is a like f bomb drug laden trailer. Uh, for this movie. It also has Brad Pitt uh, in it, continuing his vein of like, I'm in goofy bad Brad Pitt mode, which is a Brad Pitt mode that I very much enjoy. Mm. Um, so this looks really interesting, an interesting period of history, interesting over-the-topness, opposite end of the scale from the kind of restrained first man back to the, like, we're telling a story about Hollywood with lots of jazz and lots of visual craziness of early Damien Chazelle, and I'm well up for that. I haven't seen it yet because I don't want to be spoiled, but yeah, you've, you've sold me. I am agnostic, but hopeful. Every day is Christmas Eve, even when La La Land sucked. Oh, anyway. come on. And this one's not out that long before or after Look, Christmas Eve. It's yeah. a Christmas movie. I think, first of all, we should be excited about briefly Oscar-winning film director Damien Chazelle making a movie. <laughs> uh, and uh, also, it features Margot Robbie fighting a fucking snake. Yes. So... Technically so speaking, he is an actual Oscar-winning director because he did win Best he Director. He did also win Best year. Director. Damn it! Two things, real quick. So Priscilla Presley and Elvis Presley have been cast again. It's like it's like the Waynes. It's like if you wait five minutes, there'll be a new Elvis Presley in a film called Priscilla, which is Sofia Coppola's next movie. So automatically, immediately, very very interested. Yep. Uh, and she has cast Jacob Elordi. And Kaylee Spaney mm. uh, as Elvis and Priscilla. It's based on Priscilla Presley's memoir, Elvis and Me, which doesn't have a chapter on the Naked Gun because it was released three years before she made the Naked Gun. Um, two other quick things. Uh, so this week it was announced that uh, Ty West's Pearl, which is the prequel to X, which came out earlier on this year. And then when it came out, it was revealed that Mia Goth played dual roles in that movie and she played Maxine, the adult film star lead of that movie, but also its psychopathic killer, Pearl, bedecked liberally in old age makeup. And then it was revealed that they had already shot a prequel to that movie called Pearl, which uh, was at Venice the Venice Film Festival just a, a week or so ago. And it was also announced at Venice that they are going to make a third and final film in this very unexpected trilogy called Maxine. But Maxine has three X's in the title. Two N's and one Y. <laughs> but it's not where you think. It's exactly where you think it's going to be in Maxine, by the way. Uh, and this is going to take the tale of Maxine uh, into the 80s. So it's going to be uh, porn and slasher-tastic, I think. I can't wait for this. X, if you've not seen X, not enough people saw that movie. It felt like it had a weirdly small release over here. But it does some really interesting things. Ty West absolutely knows what he's doing with this stuff. Pearl sounds really interesting and different because they're doing it as like a 1920s, 1930s style Technicolor, Wizard of Oz style movie as a full-blooded horror film. 
Um, and then with this, it's set in 1985, Maxine. They haven't shot this yet, but apparently they're fast-tracking it into production. So again, it's going to be a different milieu, a different era, a different kind of age of Hollywood, because obviously X is very much about 70s exploitation, 80s, the, the, the kind of... Uh, tr- little trailer, the little teaser they put out for this is very much kind of VHS woozy visuals. Um, so it's just such a playful thing. And this collaboration between Ty West and Mia Goth is proving extremely fruitful. I can't wait to see Pearl. That's about to come out in the US. I'm very jealous because it doesn't have a release date here yet. Um, but the fact that especially now they are also putting Maxine into production, surely mm-hmm. that's going to get snapped up. Absolutely. So uh, that's exciting. And the thing I completely forgot to mention, let's go back to Marvel. Uh, D23 is that they announced some more cast members for Captain America, New World Order, uh, which is obviously the next Captain America movie. And this time features Sam Wilson, Anthony Mackie as the Falcon turned Captain America. And uh, they announced, among other things, people returning from Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, So... Carl Lumbly apparently is going to be re- returning as Isaiah Bradley, which is great. And Danny Good. Ramirez is going to be uh, in it also as name of character Danny Ramirez played. <laughs> new Falcon. <laughs> new new, new Falcon. Falcon. But well, whatever his character name was, we all know it. We just don't want to say it because it would be too obvious to say. Uh, Red Wing? No, that was no, the drone. Red no, that the was drone. the drone. I can't oh, remember. Come now. Yeah. Torres. Torres sounds right. Torres. First name? Fernando. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, Torres. Uh, anyway, big news, big shock. is that Tim Blake Nelson's back. Uh, and you may say, Tim Blake Nelson's back is what? Well, the leader, of course. The Who? No, not The Who. That's a completely different thing. He's back as the leader, which is a character he kind of semi-played in 2008's The Incredible Hulk, the second ever MCU film, where he was Samuel Stearns, who was someone who was helping Bruce Banner, but then turned out to have nefarious designs on Bruce Banner <gasps> and was last seen being infected with Bruce Banner's gamma-irradiated blood. Then that film was a bit of a flop and they never mentioned him again, uh, even though the leader is the Hulk's arch nemesis. <gasps> uh, and so 14 years on, or probably 15 by the time this movie comes out, Tim Blake Nelson is going to be back, 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 but not in a Hulk movie, but in a Captain America movie as the leader who is to intellect what the Hulk is to strength. So he, so he is super, super smart, like go on the chase alone smart, like only connect smart. Wow. But also in New World Order, they, they announced uh, Shira Haas is joining the Marvel Universe as well. She, she's going to be playing Sabra, who's an Israeli superhero from the Hulk comics, and is also a mutant in hand strength, speed, and agility. Uh-oh. <laughs> mutants confirmed in the MCU yet again. <gasps> again, again. More mutants confirmed in the MCU. <laughs> but I just think it's interesting. Like, So I expect him to show up in She-Hulk, uh, Attorney at Law. This is the leader. Yes. The leader. Mm. Uh, but big Hulk villain showing up in Captain America. The the lines are blurring. The, the, the streams are being crossed. It's very interesting. And the leader looks really fucking stupid as well, which is, uh, so I would love to see how they're going to do that on, on the big screen. <laughs> uh, Moustache, giant fucking forehead. Anyway, this is a week that Jean-Luc Godard uh, left us. He was 91 years old. He passed away in Switzerland. He was one of the chief architects of the French New Wave. Uh, he was one of the, the many critics on the Cahiers du Cinema magazine who segued smoothly into making movies. He was someone who... I think can be credited with re 
defining and redeveloping the fabric of cinema itself. Yeah, I think it's it's not an exaggeration to say he was one of the most influential filmmakers of all time. Like, you know, everything since Godard has kind of been influenced by Godard pretty much one way or another, but via many intermediaries in some cases, but nevertheless it's been it's been he's he's been someone that every other filmmaker has had to reckon with since so films like abu de souf uh, le mepri bandapar um you know they they kind of they're giants a giant of cinema and he will be missed okay so now it is time to talk about this week's reviews what's been happening in the world of the multiplex and indeed the sofaplex what's the big film out this week well i would i would say ordinarily in terms of star power it would be ticket to paradise which is the big george clooney julia roberts rom-com mm-hmm. but that as a mark of respect to the queen and to her funeral which is on monday as you listen to this september 19th that has been delayed to tuesday september 20th my actual birthday. Thank you, George. Thank you, Julia. You shouldn't have. Uh, but we'll talk about that in a second then because that's been delayed. But a film you can see right now, if you choose to, in cinemas, is the return of Kevin Smith to the quick stop in New Jersey, Clerks 3. Benjamin. Or is it Clerks 3? How do you say it? I always say Clerks. I've always said Clerks. I Be- say Clerks because I'm not American. <laughs> yeah, but the film is. Yeah, but I'm not. But also, no, having grown up through the 90s, nobody from 1991 onwards has ever described somebody who works in a shop as a clerk or a clerk. Unless they work in Clarks. Unless they work in Clarks, which is definitely <laughs> Clarks, because it's got an A and it's where you buy your school shoes. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I've always said clerks because I've only ever heard that word used in relation specifically to these films. And it's Shop spelled. assistance doesn't have the same ring to it. Precisely. But it's spelled clerk. It's not spelled Clark. If it was spelled Clark, you pronounce it Clark. It's not like Clark Kent. It's Clark Kent because it's got an A. This has got an E. Clerk. Like twerk. It's not twark. Sure. But I would say (laughs) it would not be isolated in the annals of the English language as something which is not pronounced phonetically. This hey, kind how of, was the film? I was going to say, this kind of semantic <laughs> frippery is like dialogue from a Kevin Smith yeah. movie, especially because we're now talking about Superman. Yeah. But this is, as you say, his return to the quick stop. Um, the third Clerks film, so the last one was 2006, was mm-hmm. Clerks 2. They've come back briefly in Jane Silent Bob reboots a couple of years ago. But this is Kevin Smith returning to the characters that made him. And returning to telling stories about his own life, which is what Clerks always was. He wrote what he knew in the shop that he used to work in when he dreamed of being a filmmaker and doing something different, went back there, shot Clerks, and wrote all the dialogue that was the things that he used to say to his friends while they all hung out in the shop. And now he returns to Dante and Randall, played by Brian O'Halloran and Jeff Anderson. They are both back in those two lead roles. They are running the quick stop, having bought it at the end of Clerks 2. And uh, pretty early on in the film, Randall, mid-rant about Jesus, has a massive heart attack, a Widowmaker heart attack, which Kevin Smith himself suffered a couple of years ago, Mm -hmm. very nearly died. Mm -hmm. He weaves a lot of specific experiences. If you've ever heard him talk about his heart attack experience, all of that stuff is in the film. So Randall suffers a massive heart attack and decides that having spent his life 
watching movies and complaining about movies that he is finally going to make a movie. And the movie he decides to make is a film about people working in the quick stop, in which he's going to take all the conversations that he has had with his friends there and turn that into a movie called Inconvenience, which was the original name mooted for Clerks. Uh, So this is self-referential up the wazoo. This is like next level snake eating itself and then eating itself again uh, as he is remaking his own origin story through the experience of his own heart attack. Um, And it is very much kind of him going back to these characters that he's been writing for the majority of his life now, especially his life as a filmmaker, but also through the lens of current day Kevin Smith. So if you saw Jay and Silent Bob reboots or even some of the kind of strange stuff he did in the couple of years before that, like um, Tusk and Yoga Hoses, if he's in that mode, but also referring back to the old stuff he used to do. It's kind of old Kevin Smith channeled through new Kevin Smith, which for me had ups and downs in the, I think the opening half hour or so of this film is a little bit weaker. If you think of the classic dialogue of of Clerks and Clerks 2, all those really funny kind of pop culture rants, um, it doesn't have that same level of wit. I think it takes a little bit of time finding its feet, especially in terms of the humor. But Dante and Randall, Brian O'Halloran and Jeff Anderson are both brilliant coming back to this. Famously, Jeff Anderson for years didn't want to do this. He didn't want to do Randall again. And I'm really glad he did because he is perfect in this role and he gets every gag, he gets every line, he gets every intonation. Those two really slip back into these roles in a in a wonderful way. And when the film focuses on them, on their friendship, on their bickering, but also on some very, very real stuff, the emotional side of this film is really effective. Mm -hmm. And Chris, you were texting me saying, tell me when you've watched it. Tell me when you've watched Mm -hmm. it. We need to talk talk about Clerks 3 when you've watched it. Mm -hmm. And when I did watch it, I didn't stop thinking about the last third of this film for like a good couple of days afterwards. It really stayed with me. And I thought it was very slow to get going. The laughs weren't really arriving in the first half an hour or so. I think it massively over-relies on the Elias character from Clerks 2, who was really fun in that film, but he was a smaller part of that film. He plays kind of a big role here and gets some jokes and uh, this whole running gag thing that's not that funny to me. There's a clumsiness to some of the humour, I think, which doesn't quite work. Yeah, which is a shame because some of the best comedic Kevin Smith stuff is quite elegant and smartly written. His kind of overly smart dialogue is part of his signature. But when he gets into the thing that his films often do, which is towards the end, let's just drop everything and like talk some real stuff for a minute and let each other have it. And when the film does that, it goes to some places that I really didn't expect and that kind of really stayed with me. I've loved these characters for a long time. And if you have any affection for them, I would recommend seeing this you'll probably find maybe like me that it has its ups and downs but the ups were definitely worth it did you find so i i thought i had a weird voyeuristic feeling watching this it felt like you were watching a man looking back on his own life Mm. and examining the choices he's made and the things he's done and then doing them all over again uh and and 
there's something, as you say, there's something, it sticks with you, I think, because it almost feels, not quite like a violation, but it feels like you've intruded. It, feel, it felt to me, like watching this film, felt like walking into a room where people are having a private conversation, they haven't noticed you're there, and you just think, I shouldn't be witnessing this a little bit. And it it has that, definitely towards the last third, as you say, but it has that sense of him evaluating his life and looking back on the things he's done. And it's really affecting. And it's I think it's as affecting as it is at times painfully unfunny. And so, I mean, I struggled with the humour in this a lot, certainly in the first half. There were parts where I was just almost wincing at how violently unfunny I found it. But I got past that. And, like, and there's a recurring joke about butt thief, which I just weirdly found myself. But the fourth time they repeated the gag, I was like, okay, at this point, I'm just finding it funny. Um, but I, I liked this film. and I, But I think mainly for that, I liked it because it had an honesty to it, had an openness to it, and it had a sense of a man reflecting on his own life, his own legend, and his own story. Uh, and the characters do it, and he as a filmmaker does it, and he as a character as Silent Bob in it does it as well. Um, mm. So there is something about this that stays with you, and I, I do think it's that. But I think, you know, I, I have a love-hate relationship with the viewers' universe. Like, I loved Clark's. When it first came out, <laughs> but let, I, let the record show James did a little eye roll there when he said that. <laughs> but what do you send to Mel Rats? I, 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 I like more rats as well. Like I found it really funny at the time. It is stupid and puerile, which is not generally my sense of humour. But I um. liked it. <laughs> okay, okay, fair enough. Let the record show that on this podcast I am both stupid and puerile. That was a beautifully timed on the shot. <laughs> But look, I and but rewatching them, I think now, sort of like in, in modern times, I look through. I maybe don't find them as funny as, as once I did, and this is another one where I was just like, I don't know, would I have found this funny when I was sixteen? Maybe, I, I, but I think if I you went to this, it's, I think this this film is really interesting and uh, and very much took me by surprise. If you go into this expecting, you know, a retread of of, of Clerks, and, and I think Clerks Two was very funny as well but also had a little bit more of introspection, a little bit more of reflection, a little bit more of an assessment of, of where he was at that point in his life when he was, I think, heading towards the big 4-0 and am I doing the right thing with my life? Can you recalibrate? Can you switch lanes in the middle of your life? If you go into this film expecting it to be a retread of Clerks and to have dialogue scenes as iconic as, you know, 37 dicks in a row <laughs> or, you know, Happy Scrappy Hero Pup, that incredible... Screed that you know <laughs> list the litany of porn films that are reeled off there it's just incredible you're going to be disappointed what's interesting about Clerks 3 is that by the last 30-40 minutes of this movie it's all drama and the comedy just leeches away and it, it affected me in a way that I honestly wasn't expecting the comedy side not so great the dramatic side very very mm. good what's interesting mm. is I've seen a few reviews of this film um so yeah, you know, I I felt that Kevin Smith fans would get it, and would understand it, which is why I was texting Ben. But I've seen a couple of Kevin Smith fans kind of poo-poo it and dismiss it a little bit and say it overreaches. It, it's it's trying to hit places dramatically that its cast principally can't reach, specifically Anderson and Halloran. I disagree with that entirely. I think that. They are really good in these roles. They they are these roles. They're playing these roles. They know every every inch of these characters and their psyches. And when they're asked to reach those dramatic places, for me it hits. 
and it's, and and you know they're not the greatest actors in the world, but no. but perhaps for that reason, it it impacts me more when they go to those those slightly darker, more nakedly emotional places. So you know, Ben, you wound up giving it three stars. I think that's absolutely right. Yeah, but it's it's such a strange one. If you're not a Kevin Smith fan, what are you going to get from this film? Oh, nothing. I honestly don't know. If you are a Kevin Smith fan, I, it's spe- I to think have... it's special. It yeah. has something special. It if you're really a Kevin does. Smith fan, there's really something does. special about this film. There really is. And there is a particular monologue in this, which just, I mean, it really got me. And actually, it made up for something, because there is a treatment of a character in this that I violently disagreed with and yes. was really fucked off, and I thought it was lazy, and I thought it was shit, and I was really unhappy about it. And then there was a point in the film where I was like, and now I understand why it's there, and all was kind of forgiven. And I thought, and that, that scene that, that, that scene sort of made the film for me, I think. Mm. All right. Three stars for Clerks 3, and who knows, maybe we'll do a... Well, in fact, we are going to do a spoiler special. It just depends when we can find the time to do <laughs> so. But uh, this is a film I really want to get into without having to tiptoe around stuff. But three stars then for Clerks 3. We'll also do a spoiler special for Ticket to Paradise, aren't we, Helen? Because it is pure cinema. Yes, it cinema. Is, it is pure, pure cinema. Cinema has never been greater. Uh, this is a story where Julia Roberts and George Clooney, they may have character names, but let's be honest, Julia Roberts <laughs> and George Clooney. Um, Danny Ocean and Tess Ocean. Danny and Tess Ocean uh, play a couple who were married straight out of college, had a daughter uh, who is played by Caitlin Deaver, and then split up acrimoniously and have bickered and snapped at each other ever since. Well, when their daughter graduates college and goes off to Bali and gets herself engaged to a man she has only just met, oh. the pair of them will have to work together to break up this ill-advised too young marriage because they, above all, know the dangers of an ill-advised too young marriage. Well, honestly, from that description, you will be able to tell every single thing that happens in this movie after that point. Because these two are going to work together, you see, wink, wink, to break up their daughter's marriage. What could happen as a result of that? Well, they double down their hate and it winds up being a War of the Roses style psychodrama. And they end up killing one another with sharpened, I I don't know, fruit, 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 tropical fruit. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> um, in in the pa- Paradise Island of Bali, it really does look beautiful. I will say that really, really, really lovely place well, to go on holiday. Deliciously sharp slice of mango, sir. Yes, <laughs> that's exactly what I was thinking when I said it. <laughs> so anyway, uh, look, it's it's completely predictable in every detail. Director Old Parker often shoots it, you know, like any Hallmark travel romance uh, if I'm honest a few more crane shots than you'd probably get in most of those but basically there's not very many ways to be innovative with uh, this kind of film the difference of this one genuinely is the fact that it's George Clooney and Julia Roberts uh, reminding you that star power is a thing and that it can elevate a very basic script an incredibly basic story and give it something a little bit of zhuzh, a little bit of movie star magic. This would be, honestly, this would have been a straight to Netflix, you know, let's add a pun to the title piece of nonsense without them. And as it is, it's actually really, really good fun. But it's still a piece of complete <laughs> nonsense. I, I can't stress this enough. It does massively underuse Billy Lord as well, which I think is a bit of a bit of a shame because she is in it as... Uh, Caitlin Deaver's best friend. Book smart reunion. It is a book smart reunion, but not enough of a one. We need ah, more. I hadn't put that together. Okay. You fool. Yeah. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but it's also an Ocean's Eleven and Ocean's Twelve reunion. What? This yeah. is an, an entirely new news to me. Um, I, I will say as well that there are 
and I, I'm so sorry to report this, there are bloopers during the credits. Don't, oh, don't never fun. be sorry to report bloopers <laughs> during mean? the credits. Uh, this film, Ben, whenever, I don't know, you weren't with us when we watched this, but whenever this film ended, I'm not going to tell you how it ends, but it ends in... Oh, it's a total surprise. A bold, <gasps> a very bold way. Uh, I punched the air in triumph and yelled cinema. <laughs> Look, this is totally silly, but it's also um, Julia Robertson, George Clooney. In summary, we give it three stars. Yeah, it's a real movie movie. The thing that I think as well, um, it's very much an old Parker film in that you get a load of beautiful people and send them to a holiday destination and then get some, them to talk about life and love and all of those things. Mamma mia, in the vein here we of, go again. Right? It's Mamma Mia, here we go again in Bali without the ABBA songs. And I miss the ABBA songs. But also like that film, it kind of, it gives you enough of the screwball-y rom-com stuff from the trailers. But it has a little bit more going on in terms yeah. of the, the dramatic stuff between George Clooney and Julia Roberts and why they kind of fell apart and why that's now projected onto Caitlin Deaver's character. And so there's a little bit more substance there. It's not the all-out totally frothy time it's a i mean it's a little it's a little bit of substance it's a it's a sprinkling of bacon bits <laughs> over the mac and cheese of the movie do you know what i mean it just like, made it is, sound like the best movie ever, i mean it does, that does sound delicious but yeah. you know what i mean this is not this is not a full-on bacon mac and cheese this no. has just got a few bacon bits over the top and not the good bits of bacon either, like the rind Oh like no no no! Lines. That's a little. That's a little harsh. Oh, that's, yeah, sorry, sorry. I'm back again. This is the best film ever made. <laughs> I was going to say that the the dramatic side of it, I appreciated and was almost like a little bit of chives on top of the bacon mac and cheese, where it's this, just like a little this bit of metaphor extra has flavor. to end. <laughs> You're just getting hungry, aren't you? <laughs> I am genuinely starving now. Passing out. Yeah. Now. Um. I, I will also say that I think it tries hard to not be as racist as some of these films are. You know, sometimes these these uh, holiday kind of rom-com things go to a, a different part of the world and then they sort of make fun of all the traditions and all the the religions and all of the customs of the country. Um, I, I think they largely avoid that here, um, which I just want to give them a little shout out for doing that. The, the, the Balinese characters are actually fun. They get to have some comedy of their own. They get to have some little running jokes and, and I liked them a lot, which, you know, it does not always go without saying in this stuff. And they go, let's make this place and the people that live here not just window dressing. Let's give yeah. them bits of things to do and and like focus on elements of, of where they are and why they are there. So like G'day, who's the, the guy that Caitlin Dever is, is marrying, who's played by Maxime, Max, Maxime Boutier is um, is really likable and, and kind of has his own issues and his own questions going mm -hmm. on. So, you know, that stuff. He deserves some credit for. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a thoroughly likable film uh, of the kind that we keep being told they don't make anymore. But here it is. Here's Ticket to Paradise. Old-fashioned rom-com, old-fashioned star power and uh, old-fashioned travelogue as well in that I've never been to Bali but I want to go desperately. And I'm so glad they didn't do a set visit. And old-fashioned Parker. Oh! Hey. There it is. Five stars then for Ticket to Paradise. <laughs> No, three stars. Three stars then for Ticket to Paradise. And real quick this weekend, because I know that you guys have seen these movies, um, which is rare in James's case. <laughs> <laughs> uh, James has seen The uh, End of the Road, which yes. is yeah. Queen Latifah thriller. Which is not, as it seems, a boys to men biopic. And more's the pity, quite frankly. I'd watch uh, it. Helen, you mentioned straight to Netflix bobbins. Well, 
<laughs> Don't know how to tell you this. This is straight to Netflix, Bobbins. This stars Queen Latifah as Brenda. She is a nurse and she has been through the ringer. Her husband got cancer and died. She like remortgaged the house to pay for his chemo and has lost a house. So she is being evicted. So she, her sort of hapless younger brother, played by Ludacris, and her two kids are doing a kind of cross-country drive to where they're now going to live. On the way, they stay in a hotel, uh, someone is murdered in the room next door, and when they leave, Ludacris has found a bag full of money, and because he's clearly never watched A Simple Plan or a dozen other films like that, he takes it and thinks there will be no consequences, uh, and it all goes to shit. They get a call from a very unfortunate person uh, who wants their money back, and it all goes downhill from there. Now, the thing with this is, it kind of follows in the footsteps of every other kind of like, we're in a car, there are rednecks everywhere, you know, from breakdown to God knows whatever else. And it's very, very trope-laden. There are neo-Nazis, there are all sorts of just ridiculous things. And the tone for this, is like, I, I almost like, it couldn't decide whether it was quite a taut thriller. Because there's a scene where Queen Latifah deals with two just run-of-the-mill racists on the road. And it's played, it's quite a powerful scene and it's an incredible performance. And it hits quite hard. And then the next scene will just be utter drivel and nonsense. Like a high-speed car chase which is interrupted by a gang of neo-Nazis. And then there's a bit like Queen Latifah literally snaps some zip ties and then beats the shit out of a dozen men. And they do set it up. In sure. Fairness, a little bit. But... I was, and then there's there's you know the, the plot goes to places which is which are wildly unsurprising in the final act, and it just felt this felt very hokey to me. It felt like quite lazily written, and the action in it was serviceable, like it wasn't terrible, but I didn't have the most fun with this. I got to be said, it was mercifully short. It's like it's like eighty nine minutes, which I was very very pleased with, but beyond that, I I I struggled to get through this. I quite. I liked it because of Queen Latifah, because I think she is really underrated. I watched Last Holiday again recently, which I think is very charming. And uh, and I enjoyed her in this one as well. I think she kind of anchors it. Ludacris has much less to do, but, but kind of convinces more or less as a sort of someone who's dumb enough to pick up the money and think mm. everything will be fine, but smart enough to try and help get them out of it. Um, one of my big notes about this film, actually, is that it's sometimes a little bit OTT, like so that there's a final big thing that happens and they're in like some woodlands and they are brightly lit in fuchsia and blue. In mad neon. Mad like, neon. What in a was way that? that doesn't, I mean, it looks kind of cool, but it doesn't make any sense in the story or anything else. So I was a little bit kind of confused by touches like that. I, I realised that the director, Millicent Shelton, is, is probably going for a little bit mm. of visual interest in a... what would otherwise be scrubland. Mm. But at the same time, you know, some kind of explanation for why there would be these lights yeah. in wood would, be, would be kind of cool. Our background is music videos well, she's done a lot of TV work too, so I don't know. Maybe she was trying to give it a bit of visual bit of interest. Yeah. yeah, exactly that. But it does seem weird. It's an odd choice. Yeah. But I mean, look, this, this genre, this this type of thriller, is full of the kind of tropes that you get here. Um, and and I kind of enjoyed some twists to it, like how that fight with the neo Nazis ends was interestingly done, and I thought quite cleverly done. So some some of those kind of things that I really liked, and yeah, the addition of all these microaggressions and stuff, uh, you know, was something that again you don't see in all of these movies because it's usually Liam Neeson, you know. So so that kind of gave it a, a different a different energy for me. So I, I didn't I didn't dislike it. Um, it's yeah, it is tropey and it is familiar, but it is also as you say, eighty nine minutes. And yes. As I say, I'm always here for Queen Latifah. She's the best. James, what would you give it? 
I would give this two stars. Two stars. Feels, All right. feels a little harsh to me. A little harsh. A little harsh as Helen, who's in the five-star camp along with Ticket to Paradise. <laughs> Last but not least this week is Do Revenge. Yeah, I wasn't expecting. Uh, let me let me count no, 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 anything from this film, um, and yet I was quite charmed. So this comes from director uh, Jennifer Caitlin Robinson, um, who has worked on a bunch of things, most recently as a writer on Thor: Love and Thunder, um, and this is a kind of teen, mean girly, Heather's esque kind of uh, comedy drama. So Camilla Mendes from River. Riverford, Riverside, River, Riverdale. Riverdale. Thank Riverdale, you. Yes. Riverdale plays Drea, who is a scholarship student who has risen to be kind of queen bee of her fancy private school. Um, if you want to feel old, by the way, the headmaster of this school, and she is called a headmaster, is Sarah Michelle Geller. <gasps> yep. No, she's still at Sunnydale. She's still. But she's a headmaster. What? No. Yep. We're very old. Anyway, Camilla Mendes plays Drea. She is the uh, queen bee of this very, very fancy private school until her little sex tape that she recorded from her for her boyfriend, played by Austin Abrams, is mysteriously leaked online. And she kind of is a social outcast as a result. So she comes back the next year and she teams up with a new girl in the school, played by Maya Hawk. Who uh, and the plan is that that they are going to get revenge on each other's nemeses because Maya Hawk, despite being a new student, has this girl at school, an ex of hers, who hurt her back in the day. So they're going to get each other's revenge to avoid getting in trouble. A sort of strangers on the train situation. Strangers in a high school corridor. Strangers in a high school corridor situation. That is the setup. Now you think you know everything that's going to happen in this film from that and you look at the running time which is pretty much two hours and you're like that's too long I'm going to say that this justifies the running time because it does some things I was not expecting and I'm not going to say anything more than that but it really goes to some places that I didn't think it was going to go to and I was quite impressed by how it did it's got a good supporting cast as well Sophie Turner is in there in a tiny role I thought I knew what this was and I was kind of a little bit wrong and I am delighted to be wrong-footed by a film like this. You had me at snarky revenge teen thriller with Sarah Michelle Gellar and Maya Hawke. I mean, yeah, that's, exactly. I mean, that's that's kind mm-hmm. of fun. It's, it, look, it wants to be up there with Mean Girls and Heathers and it's not quite that good, but it is far closer than I thought it was going to be. There you go. Good week for Sarah Michelle Gellar, by the way. Hasn't been in a film for a long, long time. She's now in Dub Revenge and another film this week mm. that I won't reveal, but you, you know, if you Google it, you'll know which one I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, so you, there you go. Did you also see her bet with Howard Howard Stern? No. So she uh, he had uh, Freddie Prinze Jr. on his show like 20 years ago and was telling him it was a mistake to get married to Sarah Michelle Gellar and it would never last. And he bet him a million dollars that it wouldn't last and she has basically called in the best wow. <laughs> on social media. He so. can afford it, in fairness. I mean, I, I don't think she's serious about expecting him to actually hand over a million dollars. But, you know, up. 20, up 20 years, Stern. so they're still pretty going. There you go. Good week for Freddie Prince Jr., by the way, also, who is uh, was set to receive a million dollars from Howard Stern, but is also <laughs> in another film that's out this week, and I won't reveal the title. Wow, you're Just so mysterious. I know, mm. I know. All right, so Helen, what do you give to Revenge, which is on Netflix? I, I mean, I'm definitely at, at the very least a high three. Wow. Yeah, I'm, I might creep up, creep up to a four, but it's, it's a, it's a really, really, really solid three. There you go. 
three stars then for Do Revenge. And on that note, that is it for this epic jamboree, this bumper-sized Empire podcast. We've made it through to the other end, folks. We've made it through to the other end. See, this is what happens when he's in this he's in such the room. A dude, yeah, yeah. yeah. So if, this, if, if I've been on the live show, it'd still be going on. Especially when we get to the review section, he's like, oh, I've seen this, Chris. I've seen that film. Do you want me to leap in with an opinion on this? See, this is why, Chris, this is why I watch so few films, because I'm thinking of you and the edit. <laughs> That's it. You I'm sir selfless. are a liar. I'm not thinking of myself in the edit. Oh God, I'm thinking of myself in the edit now, and I <laughs> single tear is rolling down my cheek. Uh, anyway, that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun, where we'll be joined by Steve Coogan. Steve Coogan, who of course plays Alan Partridge and returns as Alan Partridge in a new series of the cracking podcast, Alan Partridge from the Oast House. We'll also be joined by, for the second time this year, talking about the same film, Bryce Dallas Howard and DeWanda Wise, stars of Jurassic World Dominion Extended Edition. Or is it the Extended Edition? Extended Edition. Just Extended Edition. So there's like, how many more minutes in that movie? 14 more minutes. 14 more minutes. But we didn't just bring you an extended edition of my interview with Bryce Dallas Howard from earlier in the year. Oh no, Ben flew to Malta to do a brand new interview with Bryce Dallas Howard and DeWanda Wise from that film. Look, somebody has to do the hard work around here (laughs) and I'm happy to just, you know, do the tough stuff and look, you can thank me later, okay? All right, so Ben's been to Malta, James has been to Paris. Helen, where have you been recently on a great big old trip? Um, nowhere. (laughs) <laughs> I went to I went to Shepparton a couple of months ago. Oh, that was nice. That was I nice mean, for you. It's not. It's not. Yeah. Did you fly I mean, business? Funny, or... <laughs> I, I. You know what? I. They did send a car for me because it was a it was a transport strike day. So they they actually I, they sent a very Fancy. nice car. So and I had a very nice chat with a very nice driver. So you know what? It's fine. There you go. Until then. Until we meet again, until that auspicious occasion, it is time to say goodbye to my three colleagues of such lethal cunning, James Dyer. Goodbye, James Dyer. Goodbye, Chris. I'm off to fight a snake. Yes, may a glob never <clears throat> fall from your roller again, lest it blind you. Good cover story, by the way. I'm talking to your story here that about your what happened to your eye. Not, oh, I see. Not a cover feature yes. for Empire Magazine. I would yeah. never say that. Uh, Wax dart. <laughs> <laughs> Those who like Bill Hicks, no. <laughs> Yeah, it is time to say goodbye to Ben Travis. I'm going to go and watch a supercut of every single Dante and Randall scene from every single Viewerskew movie. Rightly so. Quite rightly so. It's time to say goodbye to Helen O'Hara. Toodaloo. I, by the way, didn't get to see Clerks 3 because they sent me the link too late. Oh, it's because it's Clerks 3. They sent you a different thing. (laughs) My mistake. And it's goodbye from me. Uh, like Helen, I haven't been anywhere on a massive jolly recently, and I would very much like to go to Chessington World of Avengers on Legoland. Uh, very <laughs> much, please, with a little drinking game. So please, I'm asking the universe. I'm asking the universe because I have integrity. Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening. See you next week. Bye bye. 